The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowds, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. There were other boats with them. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he woke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear as they said to one another, who is this then that the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we pray that as you open this, your word to us by your Holy Spirit, that we would be changed, that we would understand more what it is to sleep during sea storms as Jesus slept, that we would be empowered more and more to be like Jesus for your glory, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want to learn to sleep during sea storms. I really want to learn more and more how to sleep during sea storms. In verse 38 of our text today in Mark 4, we're told that Jesus was in the stern of the boat in the middle of a wild windstorm, asleep on a cushion. These storms, these sea storms on the Sea of Galilee were a serious matter. They were huge. They would take lives, and they would come out of nowhere. In fact, even today, if you're traveling in the Holy Land and you go to the Sea of Galilee, as Bishop Tom Wright says, he says, it isn't just boats that are in danger on the Sea of Galilee. To this day, the car parks on the western shore have signs warning drivers what happens in high winds. The sea can get very rough very quickly, and big waves can swamp cars parked on what looked like a safe beach. A boat on the lake suddenly gets tossed around like a child's toy. These storms were serious. And I don't know about you, but when I look at this text that was chosen weeks ago, we can't help but reference Hurricane Matthew. We thank God that the hurricane died down in much of its intensity as it came to Florida. But it wasn't the case for Haiti. Haiti got hit full power. And Christchurch, we 
always, as we have in these past 31 years, know what it means to stand with those who suffer. And so there's ways today that we can give, give to the Red Cross and other agencies that are working to rebuild Haiti, such tremendous loss of life. We can give directly through Christ Church and we'll make sure if it's marked disaster relief that it gets to where it needs to go. But when we look at this text, I know that we're all at different times in our lives facing sea storms. Some of you in this room right now are facing big sea storms. And it's hard. Jesus is giving us a picture. He's giving us a model of what it looks like to sleep during a sea storm. He's using the sea storm as a teachable moment as he lays. He knows what he's doing when he lays down on that stern. He's aware of what's going on. He's teaching these disciples a posture. You see, Jesus sleeping on the cushion during the sea storm is saying, I have full trust in my father. I'm putting my trust there. Jesus is modeling Psalm 4 verse 8, which is included in part of Compline or prayers before bedtime for Anglicans. Hearing my daughters pray these words every night from Psalm 4, we will lay us down and take our rest, for it is thou only, O Lord, who makest us dwell in safety. We will lay us down and take our rest, for it is thou only, O Lord, who makest us lie down in safety, dwell in safety. Jesus is giving us a model, but let me just give a couple of caveats first. Quick clarification. Sleeping during a sea storm doesn't mean invincibility, nor does it mean apathy. Just a quick word on that. This posture of sleeping during a sea storm doesn't mean invincibility. What Jesus is not saying is, oh, you can sleep during sea storms because nothing's going to happen to you. No, those of us I know in this room have experienced sea storms, and those sea storms can hurt. It's not about invincibility. One of my favorite texts from Scripture is Matthew 16, because of how bluntly honest and hopeful it is. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. So it's not about invincibility, nor is it about apathy. Sleeping during sea storms doesn't mean we just sort of lay back and say, well, I'm not going to do anything. We are called to be active. I mean, when we looked at the prodigal father, this three-week series we went through together recently, it's interesting that the, when the younger son is in the pig field, when he's in the middle of his sea storm, when it's all falling apart, he says, I will arise and go to my father. He doesn't say, I'm just going to lay here in the pig field. He says, I'm going to rise and go to my father. He's motivated to action. It's not about apathy, nor invincibility. Sleeping during sea storms is about an attitude of the heart. What is my heart doing in the midst of the sea storms I'm facing? Because I don't know about you, but often I have the same reaction as the disciples have in this passage. When we're facing sea storms, verse 40, Jesus said, why are you so afraid? And have you still no faith? My experience often with sea storms is that I'm 
full of fear and I'm empty of faith. And that's kind of backwards, isn't it? See, if I could only find myself being full of faith, I'd find the fear start emptying out. I don't know if you've prayed like this before. I don't know if I've ever said these words, but uh, Bishop Trevor Walters, a friend of mine a number of years ago, um, articulated this kind of prayer that we often pray during sea storms like this. He said, do you ever pray like this? Oh Lord, would you reduce the severity of these circumstances so that my lack of faith will be sufficient? Will you reduce the severity of these circumstances so that my lack of faith will be sufficient? I don't know if I've ever said those words out loud, but man, I have prayed those words in my heart. Fear is debilitating. Fear can make well-intentioned people do bad things, stupid things, dumb things. Fear gets a hold of us. A number of years ago, I was teaching on fear and this was a number of years ago before there was Google. Uh, I know the millennials in the room, I just, I just lost you there. Um, but there, were, there was no Google. And so if you wanted to find something in scripture um, and you didn't know where it was, there was a, there was a quote in scripture I, and I couldn't find it. And so I had to go to the concordance. Remember these old big books you had to go through and it would have every single word in the Bible indexed so you could look up all the fear passages. And I read every single fear passage and I didn't find this verse I was looking for. The verse is this, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I couldn't find it. And this story highlights why my generation is rightly called the Star Wars generation. Because St. Paul never said this, Yoda did. I'm sure it's in here somewhere. But Yoda had it right. Fear is the path to a dark side. Fear gets a hold of us. And so the question I want to ask this morning in the, in the presence of the sea storms that you recently have gone through that you may be currently in the midst of or the ones that may be just around the corner, the question is how do we find faith to shed our fear in the face of sea storms? Well, the answer comes as we look at the disciples' own question about Jesus in verse 41. In response to all of this, they say in verse 41, who is this? Who is this? The, the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? You see, as we answer the question, who is this? As we get to know Jesus better, we will find our confidence in him, our trust in him increase. It is as we get to know Jesus, as we answer the question, who is this, that we begin to grow in our faith and our trust in him. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna walk through a series of Jesus' mighty deeds. Each time asking, based on this, who is this? And as we ask this question today, who is this? In the face of sea storms, who is this? Who is Jesus? It sort of pulls out three main questions quickly. Who is this brings the question, is he conscience, conscious of my sea storm? Who is this? Is he conscious? Is he aware of my sea storm? 
Secondly, who is this? Is he competent to deal with my sea storm? And finally, who is this? Does he care about me in my sea storm? That's the zinger. Does he care? Is he conscious? Is he competent? Does he care? Well, first, is Jesus conscious of my sea storm? Or does he need to get woken up? See, when the disciples wake up Jesus in the boat, it's very similar to Psalm 44. In Psalm 44, we read these words. And I love the Psalms. They're so honest. I mean, if you want to read the Psalms and try and get, you know, really clear, easy doctrine, you're going to run into trouble because the Psalms are full of messiness, of people crying out to God, of struggle. And thank God he includes this in his word to show us that we're allowed to be real people before God. He can take it. And so here's what the psalmist cries out. Yet for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The psalmist is asking, God, do you even know that I'm going through this? Do you even know I'm in a sea storm? Are you conscious of this? Who is this? And the answer is, yes, he is conscious. I mean, look at 35, verse 35. Verse 35 tells us that it was Jesus' idea to get in the boat in the first place. Verse 35, Jesus says, let us go, go across to the other side. He's not surprised at the sea storm. He's not surprised they're in a boat. He said, let's get in the boat. Wherever you are in the midst of a sea storm, you, are, you have walked the journey you've walked at God's call, at God's command, at God's invite. He knows exactly where you are. Is he aware of your sea storm? He called you to right where you are at this moment. But also, verse 36 says he's in the boat. Verse 36, they took him with them in the boat. He was in the boat. He's right here with us. I mean, Matthew 28 promises, Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, with you always, to the very end of the age. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. Are you conscious? Yes, he called you to where we are, and he's right in the boat. I mean, we all can compare our sea stories. Some are much, much worse than others. We've had our share. One of the most recent ones we had, I know it's nothing compared to some of yours, but was trying to sell our house to come down here. It was a nightmare selling our house. It just became a, one, one buyer, one real estate agent, you know, sort of floated a rumor that there were foundation issues on the street we lived on. And so we watched offer after offer get dropped. And we watched the price of the house drop and drop and drop. And it was terrifying. We had to pay someone to come in and dig a hole and say, no, the foundation's fine. And it was, it was a terrible moment. But you know, the phrase that we found ourselves again and again in our house during that time, Monica and I found a phrase we would use with each other and we'd just say, God has not changed. The buyers have changed their minds, but God has not changed. 
God is fully aware of the sea storm that you are in. He is conscious. But the second question, is Jesus competent to deal? I mean, it's one thing for him to know it, but can he do anything about it? Is he competent to deal with my sea storm? Verse 39, the answer is yes. Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, I mean, just stop there for a second. He rebuked the wind. We sort of glaze past it. Oh, yeah, of course. He's rebuking the wind. He's giving instruction to the wind, and then he speaks to the sea, peace, be still. Peace is literally, shh. He shushes the sea. Who is this? And then he says, be still, which literally means to muzzle. He takes the wild animal of the sea and muzzles it. Who is this? Can he be competent to deal with my sea storm? Yes, he can. No wonder they're terrified. I mean, no wonder they freak out. Can you imagine? That boat must have instantly listed in the opposite direction. If he was in the stern, they're like on the other end. Who is this? I remember when I was in seminary, I was taking a ferry back and forth between Victoria and Vancouver for a while. And it was, I think I took 55 or 60 trips on this vessel. So you get kind of used to the captain coming on the ship saying, there's orca whale sightings or killer whale sightings on this side of the ship. You could tell who the locals were. We wouldn't get out of our seats. But about 1,500 other people would move to that side of the ship. And this 12,000 ton ferry would list. Can you imagine this little fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee the moment Jesus spoke to the sea and it obeyed him? Whoa, they're all in that end of the boat. We can't even be near this guy. Can Jesus competently deal with our sea storms? Yes, he's, he's, he's conscious of our sea storms and he's competent to deal with it. But I don't know about you, that's not my biggest question when I say, who is this? My biggest question is not about his consciousness or his competency. It's about his care. I mean, I know he's God, but does he care about me? I mean, really, does he care? I know he's God. I know he's wonderful and amazing, but does he care about me? Me and my sea storm. That's what the disciples ask him in verse 38. They say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And I found myself saying that at times to the Lord. Jesus, do you not care? It's the most critical part of asking the question, who is this? Sure, we can answer yes to the first two questions, but it's the answer to this one that I cling to in sea storms. Does he care about me? Does he care you know what's amazing, friends, is he does. And it's not just an idea that he proposes. It's not just a feeling he wants you to feel. Do you, do you feel like he cares for you? Feeling all warm and fuzzy? No, Jesus goes further. He proves it to you and me. He puts on display before the world the proof of his love, the proof of his care. Our greatest sea storm, as many of you know, was walking with our daughter, our second oldest daughter, through seven years of 
chronic illness in and out of the children's hospital again and again. And as we'd go in, oftentimes on the way in, sometimes when we were in the hospital, I would have my oil, my anointing oil, my holy oil. And that kid got so much oil on her head. It was dripping down. But it was so powerful an image so many times in a hospital room to look down at my daughter and see on her head the glistening mark of anointing. Because when we anoint, we anoint in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We put the sign of the cross on the head of the one we're anointing. And in that moment, we are putting the proof of God's love right on that person's head. You want to know that God loves you. You want to know that he cares for you. He's given you proof. Look at the cross. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his love. God puts on display his love. God puts a big sign up of his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the image of the proof that he cares for you. In Romans 8, we get this beautiful picture of Paul uh, claiming all the, the picture of the cross and the resurrection and God's Holy Spirit being poured out and all the gifts that have been given. And he gives us this, this, this reminder of the surety, the proof of God's love that we can know. We don't need to just hope to feel it, but we can know his care for us in the midst of our sea storms. And we often read this passage from Romans 8 in the context of one of the worst places of sea storms at a funeral service. We read this as we're coming in to a funeral service, that we would hear this proof that God cares. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us with him all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, sea storms? And then he reframes Psalm 44. Remember that Psalm 44 I read about, oh God, would you wake up? We're being put to death. Paul reframes that in light of the cross. Here he says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. You see, the disciples eventually gloriously seem to figure this out. That same group of disciples that were listing the boat in the other direction, they figured this out along the way. 
They were changed the more and more they answer the question, who is this? Who is this Jesus? They could deal with sea storms in their lives much, much more because they knew who this was. They knew that he was conscious of their sea storms, that he was competent to deal with their sea storms, but most of all, that he cared about them in the midst of their sea storms. And Peter is, I think, the best example of this. Peter, who in this passage is one of those disciples, terrified, lacking in fear. Peter, who in Matthew 14 will be in a boat getting out, trying to walk on the water, and again will have his fear sink him. Peter, who will out of fear deny Jesus three times. Well, something changed for Peter because not many years later, in Acts chapter 12, Peter had another sea storm. But it went a little differently for Peter. You see, Herod in Acts chapter 12 had already arrested James and put him to death. And now he arrested Peter. And there's Peter on the night of his execution in prison. Peter's in jail getting ready to die the next day. And God sends an angel to break him out of jail. Verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. But nothing happens. Can you hear the snoring in the background? Snoring away. Well, the angel goes a little further. Verse 7 says, light filled the cell. Still nothing. Hear that snoring in the background? So finally, verse 7 says, he struck Peter on the side, saying, get up, quickly. What's my point? The angel had to strike Peter awake the night before his execution. Peter, before his execution, wasn't up all a ball of anxiety, wasn't crying out his fears. Peter was having a sound sleep on a cushion in the face of a sea storm. What has changed in this man? How has he gone from one kind of disciple to another kind of disciple? How can I go from one kind of disciple to another kind of disciple? Peter saw the proof that Jesus cared. In the cross, Peter now knows for sure Jesus loves me. Jesus cares. He's proven it. Horatio Spafford, some of you know, was a, uh, is known for a famous hymn. I've always felt connected to Horatio's story because his four daughters were killed at sea. And when he was crossing the Atlantic, not many days later, the captain of the ship called him to the deck and said, we believe this is the place where their ship went down. And Spafford, in the face of that sea storm, wrote a hymn. And you hear the sea storm language, you hear the waters, but you hear the cross that he clings to. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot 
Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And they come straight to the cross. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And he can't get off the cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I want to learn to sleep during sea storms. Who is this? Does he care? Friends, he has given us the proof of his care. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.